ESPN NHL podcast with Linda Cohn and Emily Kaplan. Welcome everyone to the In The Crease podcast. I'm Emily Kaplan. I'll be joined by Linda Cohn in a second. But before we begin, I just wanted to thank you guys all for listening this season. It was such a treat for me and Linda. And it just feels so fitting that we're recording this podcast on Linda's 30th anniversary at ESPN. 30 years for the GOAT. I just have to say, Linda, you are a role model to so many women in this business, so many people in this business. And we all recognize that you came up at a very unforgiving time for women and you did two things. You worked your butt off and you were never afraid to show your true authentic self. And it was such a great role model. So I just need to begin the podcast by recognizing that. And I just wanted to say, let me do like flip it and like do an interview like I would do on the ice. When I say 30 years at ESPN, what do you think? Well, first, Emily, thank you so much. I mean, those amazing words, especially coming from someone like you, you know, as I mentioned through social media, when you put out such an amazing post, you know, I'm just so proud of you. You know, we kid about, you know, I'm old enough to be your mother. I'm proud of that. Um, but just to see how, I don't know, I have run out of words. I, I'm just really proud of you, but you should be proud of yourself. Uh, just an incredible performance uh, for ESPN covering the National hey, Hockey Mom. League. Uh, it's just, it's just, you did every everybody proud. So I just want to make sure, uh, exclamation points, exclamation points. So to answer your question, um, you know what? I honestly, I don't think about like the number. I sound like a professional athlete, you know, right? Um, but I don't think about it because all I've been doing each and every day is doing my job and love doing it and trying to imagine in my head that people were seeing me for the very first time and never took anything for granted and, and, and all that. I think once you start doing something like that, then you lose your edge. And I never wanted to lose my edge. And I, I feel I still have that. And, you know, you create ways to keep it interesting and fascinating and fun. Uh, but most important is, you know, being authentic. And I appreciate you saying using that word uh, because that's something that uh, I've always took pride on because I've always just been myself, not trying to be somebody else. I feel like that's now like the cool thing to talk about is like living authentically and being authentic and showing up authentic. But you were doing it, Linda, before it was cool. It was just natural to you. And I feel like that's what makes you so cool is that Sometimes you're not always polished. And sometimes people say, oh, she's too much of a fan or she cares too much. Or she's too passionate. <laughs> right. But that's you. Like you're the woman that I saw literally banging on the glass at a New York Rangers playoff game for <laughs> Igor Shesterkin. And like that shows up on TV and your joy and passion for what you do. So like that's why I admire you, because you showed us all that you can show up authentically again before we were all talking about these topics. Well, yeah, I appreciate that. And that that is true because, you know, that's the one thing, even way before ESPN hired me, I was really proud of the fact that I wanted to connect to the fan because I wanted to show them that I'm like them. I am a fan first. I will always be a fan first, Emily. And maybe, you know, if I wasn't, I maybe could have gotten father, father in this profession and won awards and all this kind of stuff and, you know, made more money and all that. But to me, I, I, that connection with the viewer, uh, who, as we know, those who watch ESPN are sports fans first and foremost. So from day one, I think my first sports center was July 11th, 1992. I always wanted to show the fan, show the viewer that I was just like them. And, and I believe that message is still getting across, as you pointed out, 
I can't wait for next year when I'm banging on the glass for Igor Shostakovich as well. Hopefully, it'll be in the cup final. <laughs> oh, Linda, I love it. And like, oh, okay, we could go on and on about this, but like, truly, I don't think you've realized how many people you've impacted just by being you. And I think that's the best compliment I could ever give you. Nothing. Oh, thank else. you. We'll put a bow on it. Yeah. You're also a role model because you're doing it at this age. You have a family, you have career and the work-life balance, and you just got off the tennis court as we're recording this. So you really do it all. You're pr proving that exercise is also very healthy. Oh, it's so important. I mean, for, so for someone's mental health, I mean, it's just, you know, you just have to get out there and, and be active and, and move and, 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 you know, and also today, I also took 20 minutes to lift weights. So there you have it. So I did like a double shot uh, today. All of this flexing, we've got to put a pause on it and go back to our humble selves because Linda, in the spirit of humility, like, doesn't it feel like yesterday we were sitting in Chicago beginning this podcast, um, interviewing guys and not knowing what it would become. And now here we are at the end of the season. Look, I think the right team won. The Colorado Avalanche were the best team in the NHL this year. Um, the Tampa Bay Lightning had an incredible run. And honestly, I'm not using it as excuse. It's just the attrition of three straight playoff runs wore on them. And once they lost Braden Point and then Anthony Sorelli to a really debilitating injury, they just couldn't overcome it. Yeah, I mean, the best team did win. You know, uh, I was one of many. I think you were one of these people, too. I mean, I picked the Avs before the season to win the Cup. I picked them to win, actually, in seven to beat Tampa because the Lightning really showed me something against the Rangers and their resiliency and everything they are and what they're made of. And plus, I know we're both fans of, you know, the captain, Steven Stamkos, friend of the program. Uh, we know what he was about. We know what his mission was. Our first two-time guest. Yes, that's right. Thank you, Emily. You're right. Our first two-time guest. And, uh, you know, we're both big fans of everything about him. But I just knew uh, the more, I mean, you were right up there, close, up close and personal. Uh, I, there's so much I love about this group known as the Colorado Avalanche. You know, one of the biggest takeaways, the fact that they didn't, they didn't freak out, you know, they had the 3-1 lead, you know, the lightning made a 3-2, lightning had a chance, even if the series at home, we all know it by then, didn't happen. Just the avalanche and their leadership and the Joe Sackick, the job he did as GM, bringing in those guys at the trading deadline, you know, you know, uh, just key components, you know, we know the names, they were so huge, you know, Andrew Cogliano, just naming one, Josh Manson is another, uh, we go on and on where those guys, it's so important to bring in from the outside, uh, a different flavor, right? A different voice when things get tough to kind of, I don't know, knock, knock you, knock your head, you know, right, Emily, and say, listen, nobody panic, as I like to say, you know, uh, we got this and you can have all the talent in the world. And we were blown away by Kale McCarr. We we're blown away by Nathan McKinnon. Um, uh, but you needed these outside guys to give of themselves. I mean, you talk about Sorelli and how beat up he was and Chernak of the Lightning as well. I mean, Andrew Cagliano, one of my favorite people. I mean, this guy, all the injuries the Avalanche were playing with, they never complained. They never whined. They just had their head down and kept pushing. It's like, it's part of me like always kind of cringes at glorifying this warrior mentality because it's kind of unhealthy at the same time. It is what makes hockey so unique and these specific playoffs so unique because 
it literally doesn't matter if you're wearing a hospital slipper on one foot and being wheeled into the arena like Valerie Nashushkin, like nothing is going to keep <laughs> you from getting on that ice. Um, and yeah, you're so right. Like Nazem Kadri, every guy I talked to in Colorado is like, he shouldn't have been playing right now. Like it's insane the way that he was able to rehab back from this and somehow grip his stick from this thumb surgery and like the same and score one of the biggest goals in avalanche history right emily in overtime insane and like honestly i'm happy for him because imagine how unsatisfying that is for him to have a career year have it all taken away from you when you're that close to it and watch the boys you know close it out but you're not really part of it and he'd got to be a huge part of it so oh okay but really right. can i just throw in a couple other quick things about the avalanche which you know i had to be reminded of by you know reading everything all the great articles following the big cup win nathan mckinnon okay i i can't say enough about this guy i am gonna go out with my own money and buy a jersey of nathan mckinnon's i just love hearing that story again that i forgot that when he was eight or nine years old his dad okay told uh, little Nate dog to make a hockey card of himself. Okay. And on the back, Nathan McKinnon wrote, I want to be drafted by the Colorado avalanche so I can play with Joe Sackick. And I get chills even telling this story again. And he had a poster of Joe Sackick in his bedroom. And then you hear from the captain, Gabriel Landeskog, Similar story, a poster of the Stanley Cup winning team in 2001 of the Colorado Avalanche in his bedroom growing up. He too wanted to be drafted by the Colorado Avalanche and was, as an 18-year-old, the youngest captain in Avalanche history. And for those two, just two particular stories, and one more, 21-year-old Bo Byram, who six months ago, Emily, didn't even know he was going to have a hockey career anymore after the serious concussions he suffered. Didn't even know before it even started. Didn't even know if he could continue. And he speaks about his dad, you know, on the ice after winning the cup, how his, how his dad is his biggest fan. And he almost was brought to tears talking about it. And that guy was depended on even more so more than Kale McCarr in the clinching game. He played them, had the most ice time, had the biggest assist on McKinnon's goal. 21-year-old Bo Byram. Those are just some of the stories I love hearing about the avalanche. No, it's beautiful. And it always comes out every year. I'll throw one more on you. Is Eric Johnson, a guy that I so enjoyed getting to meet during the Stanley Cup final. He was always such a pleasure. Pause really quick. A funny story about Eric Johnson. Uh, before game five, I want to say, yes, game five, he was my pregame interview. And so he skates over to the bench to interview, um, you know, to, for me to interview. And he's like, hey, Emily, like, we met your mom this week. <laughs> Eric, what? He goes, yeah, we met your mom. I met your mom. And I was like, I don't think so. Like, for disclosure, my mom is in New Jersey at home. She is a teacher. She's just finishing up her school year. And Eric goes, yeah, she was our flight attendant. And I was like, oh, Eric, I think it was just one of the boys fucking with you. Like, <laughs> And he was just like, oh, Oh God, like, sorry. I'm so sorry. I was like, no, no, it's funny. But like in my head, I'm going, I can't believe he was that gullible. Couldn't you see it? The guys on the plane being like, oh, kids without that is. That's Emily Kaplan's mom, a short blonde lady. Anyway, when he finally wins the cup and he skates over for his interview, one of the first things he says to me is, I'm so sorry about the mom thing this week. And I was like, Eric, 
fine. Unbelievable. It was funny. It was a funny story to me, but he is just so genuine. He is the longest tenured Avalanche player, had been there for so many hard times. Um, you know, the five years ago, obviously with the worst team in the league, before that when they were the worst team in the league, but believed in the team and had so many injuries and it was so difficult for him. And last summer thought about retiring, but Joe Sackick had faith in him. He's like, why don't we expose you to the expansion draft? No way they're picking you up because you're so injured. He did that as a sacrifice to the team. Obviously they didn't get him. Joe brought him back on, even though again, that's not someone you necessarily can depend on considering his history. And he showed up in such a big way for them, both on the ice, but as a leader. And you just love hearing stories like that of the guys that stuck with it, that blocked out all that outside noise and just stayed true to themselves so that he could win his ultimate goal, which was this cup with this team. So so many beautiful stories on this team, Linda. Don't you feel like, though, this is kind of like, it was almost like a passing of the torch between one dynasty to another team that we expect to be dominant. And I also feel like it was a passing of a torch to all of a sudden, Kale McCarr is going to be the guy in the league. Like next year, he's going to be the superstar that we're talking about as the season comes. He's going to be the contender for the Hart Trophy. And I feel like when I look back on this season and I think of my most memorable moments, like I keep going back to the overtime goal I saw him score when I was at ice level in Chicago and how amazing it was and how many more amazing moments like this are to come. Yeah, we're really, we're really treated to some incredible play by defend young defensemen. Now a year ago was Adam Fox of the Rangers. Now it's Kale McCarr. You're redefining the position. Right. And, and in the same, you know, the, the accolades for Kale McCarr, the awards, like only guys like Bobby Orr, you know, (laughs) like they were throwing Bobby Orr's name, you know, with Kale McCarr. I mean, it was just crazy, but, um, I really, when you look at both these teams, Emily, and you think about which team has the better chance of getting back to a cup final next year and winning, to me, by far, it's the avalanche. With all due respect to the Lightning, I think everything in their hearts and minds for the Lightning was about winning three in a row. They gave it their all, not to be. And it's really tough to find some motivation now to just get back to a final and now win, like to start over, to try to pull like a Blackhawks thing, right? Where they, you know, three and six years, you know, these kind of things. It's not the ultimate dynasty that they were hoping for to put them there with the Oilers and the Islanders. So what the Avalanche have, they have all the goods except for one thing, Emily, and maybe you know something that you could add to this, but they won in spite of Darcy Kemper. I know he's a nice guy. I've all, you know, I've been talking about him for months. That was to me the Achilles heel. That was the biggest concern for me. If the Avalanche were not going to win a cup, it was going to be because of Darcy Kemper. And they won in spite of him. I'll give him credit for making one big save in the clinching game, which was robbing Nikita Kucherov, where he got over in time. But that was only two or three shots in that third period. The avalanche vowed to themselves getting into that third period. There was no way, no how they were going to allow anything of substance near Darcy Kemper. So I feel if they're going to repeat, I would not be surprised if they upgraded the goaltending position. I think you're absolutely right. And I'm happy that Darcy came through. It was a wild ride for him. Honestly, he would make some incredible saves and then some that went by him. And you're just like, how, why, 
Um, yeah, every game there was at least one bad goal, Emily. And by the way, as long, every game there was a bad goal. Yeah, I, I, you know, but I will say this. And I kept waiting for Andre Vasilevsky to steal a game. He never stole a game. He was pretty good. He though. was not Andre Vasilevsky like. He turned it up mid-series in a big way where I, I don't think they would have made it this much. Hawks that he used to smother and not allow rebounds popped out of his glove. Things like that. He never had complete control. Maybe we're spoiled. Maybe I'm spoiled watching the, still the greatest goaltender in the world do his thing. But he was not the Vassy of last year or even the year before that. And he did get a lot of help from his teammates uh, this season as well, blocking shots. I was about to say, if the one legacy of the Tampa Bay Lightning is I think we always think about them as this offensive team, but the way they made it to the Stanley Cup final this year was by clogging lanes, blocking shots. And there's no better person to embody that. A guy that I gained immense respect for in this playoff run, which was Eric Chernak, because even watching him in that game six, Knowing the way that he left two games ago, just completely limping off, um, could not put any foot weight on his leg, blocking a shot, getting back out there, crunching in next to the board, smothering more shots, barely missing a shift. I mean, it was pretty incredible. Well, do you agree with me? Well, I don't think the lightning is coming out of the East next year. It could be the Leafs. It could be the Rangers. Maybe it's finally Carolina's time. I don't know. But I think it's really tough to get back there, especially that group. It will be. And then because, again, we don't know what the group looks like. Um, I mean, the biggest question that Eric, they have right now is Andre Palat, who I think we've all recognized as an underappreciated part of the group. Yeah. Jan Ruda, defenseman that played well with Victor Hedman. He's up too. Um, you got Nick Paul up. There's a couple guys that you don't know what their future holds. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be an interesting summer, Linda, as we put a wrap on this. I mean, the Pittsburgh Penguins could blow up. We could see their core not be together again. Um, Detroit, I think that's an area everyone's looking at. Are they going to make a big swing? Chicago, do they actually trade Alex to bring it? Like, there's so many big stories looming over the next few weeks that I think there's a lot of dust to settle before next season starts. Well, we look forward to it. And once again, uh, the season went fast for us. We enjoyed being with you. We appreciate it. I, I don't know about you, but the, the few games that I was in Denver, I had plenty of people come up to me, Emily, and say they listen religiously to the podcast. And I was like, Wow. Thank you. <laughs> no, the same. And so everyone who said something to us either in person or just is listening now, we appreciate it. Like this was something completely new for me and Linda. We just wanted to do it together. Um, and just to put a wrap on the complete podcast, the fact that I get to do it with someone like you, and it's almost like this passing of the torch for hockey at ESPN of just you embracing me and us getting to work together has been so special to me. Yes. More, more coming, more, more fun stuff coming with the both of us for sure. All right, go do something. Go on a hike now that I've inspired you with my tennis game. Do something. Nope, I'm going to lie by the pool. Okay. <laughs> yes, you, you deserve that. As I mentioned, you do deserve that. I mean, you haven't had a day off in like four months. Thanks. So, uh, yeah, take the next three months off. Okay, we'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye.